Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, May 3rd. Today on the show, the Nashville Predators get a monumental victory on Saturday night in Smashville, but we begin with questions about whether or not the Titans employed the right strategy in the NFL Draft this weekend. Of course, the 440 brought to you by the Kingston Group, our great friends over at buildkg.com. Check out the website for all their great work. Locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm. We just had some work done on our house by the Kingston Group, so you should trust the Kingston Group as well. And I'm telling you, they went out of their way to make sure that every detail, every tiny bit of our vision for what we needed for our home was exactly what they delivered. That's all you really need to know. Check out the website, buildkg.com. That's buildkg.com. And when I mean they went out of their way, like they went to Utah to get the right shingle for us. I'm just telling you. So check them out. The Kingston Group, buildkg.com. The Tennessee Titans added eight new players to their roster in the NFL draft over the weekend, and there are two big conversations to be had. Did they accomplish their goals of filling their greatest roster needs with value and talent? And number two, as some people have been saying all along, that wide receiver maybe just wasn't as big a need as the fans and media expected it to be. To the first question, the Titans drafted an elite starting number one corner in Caleb Farley in the first round with the 22nd pick. Go listen to Friday's edition of the 440 with myself and the football and other F-words guys if you want a more thorough breakdown. But basically, the gist of it is, if he stays healthy, he's an absolute steal of a talent and a better player than maybe a Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, or Desmond King and could start on the outside of this defense right away. In the second round, they filled yet another hole at right tackle with North Dakota State road grader Dylan Radens, an offensive line prospect that many scouts had pegged as a late first-round talent. So once again, John Robinson found value with the 53rd pick. Just because you haven't heard of him doesn't mean he's not any good. See Nate Davis. Radens fills a need after cutting Dennis Kelly and ridding themselves of Isaiah Wilson. Also, a lot of Titans targets, Rondell Moore, Azizo Jolari, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora went off the board like literally minutes before the Titans got on the clock, for whatever that's worth. JR then traded down, adding an extra fourth rounder in the process, and drafted middle linebacker and former four-star talent Monty Rice out of Georgia. Rice had almost 200 tackles over the last three seasons and played in the middle of one of the best defenses in all of college football. He's an absolute thumper who loves contact, and his only real weakness is his agility in pass coverage. He's going to have to work on that. But with Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown both in contract years and their futures being very uncertain, we all knew that the Titans could target a linebacker. Hell, many of us were talking about the Titans using their first-round pick on an inside backer like Zayvon Collins, so it shouldn't really be a surprise at all that they addressed the front seven with this third-round pick. Then with the compensatory pick at number 100, JR took one of the top slot corners in the draft, Elijah Molden, out of Washington. He's a physical player who is game-ready, mature, and an excellent tackler, all qualities we know this team values. Again, filling a need with a value pick. Molden was a projected late second-rounder who fell to number 100. In the fourth round, the Titans drafted Louisville wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick and Pittsburgh defensive end Rashad Weaver. Tennessee then added LSU wideout Racy McMath and Oregon safety Brady Breeze in the sixth round. I really like the Weaver pick a lot. He's an extremely well-coached physical player who fits the Titans' mold and adds nice depth to the edge position that we knew the Titans needed to address at some point this weekend. Fourth-round pass rushers aren't normally superstars, but he has a chance to make it into the rotation up front as a rookie due to how advanced his game already is. He's not overly explosive or dripping with talent, but he's a really refined player who can probably help right away. Fitzpatrick and McMath will lead us into a 
wide receiver conversation momentarily. So overall, did the Titans address needs with value and talent? And the answer is yes. The bottom line is this team desperately needed help at corner and in the front seven on a defense that was one of the worst of any playoff team last year, and it got four potential contributors in the first four rounds for those exact two positions of need. They shored up the offensive line, writing an Isaiah Wilson-sized wrong from last year. So of the obvious team needs, the Titans used almost every pick on one. Corner, edge, front seven, right tackle, and wide receiver. Tight end is really the only position you could argue was a need that didn't get addressed in some form or fashion. Which brings us to... Wide receiver clearly was a need for this team. The Titans drafted two of them this weekend. But it also clearly wasn't nearly as big of a need in John Robinson's mind as fans wanted to believe. The sheer number of talented wide receivers they passed on for other positions in each of the first three rounds should tell you they simply didn't view the position the same way that fans did, which is fine by me. They did draft two wide receivers, and while Fitzpatrick isn't the one I would have drafted in the fourth round with guys like Amon Ross St. Brown still on the board, especially trading up to get him, and Racy McMath doesn't even sound like a real human, frankly, most smart evaluators were preaching for months to wait on wideouts because this class is just too deep to reach on. And that's what the Titans did. Fitzpatrick is a 6'2", 200-plus pounder with speed and size and lots of upside. He averaged over 18 yards a catch in 2019 and over 19 yards a catch in 2020 as the team's leading receiver. He's got more than enough talent to compete for reps. This strategy and these decisions should also tell fans something else, that this team values Josh Reynolds and Nick Westbrook way more than the fans think. Reynolds is a really nice player and could easily play the role of Corey Davis, and NWI is a young talent that this coaching staff has never hid their feelings about. We all know that they like him a lot, and we know that the coaches like this collection of tight ends as well. Sure, this team could have taken a wide receiver at 92 instead of an inside backer, but they drafted the guy they wanted less than 20 picks later, and maybe they still are going to find a cheap veteran slot option on the open market somewhere. Because this offense is still built around Derrick Henry, a now-bolstered offensive line, and a developing superstar in A.J. Brown. Because one thing no one can argue is, who are the keys to the offense? Henry and Brown are option one and two, and anyone they signed or drafted would have been nothing more than this offense's third option. And that, to me, just wasn't worth overlooking the glaring holes on defense. And John Robinson obviously agrees with me on this. Is it the right strategy? Maybe not. Maybe this team needs more offensive firepower and won't be good enough on defense to slow down teams like KC or Buffalo or Baltimore or Cleveland. But I have no big issues with the Titans' overarching strategy this offseason. Cut ties with lots of expensive veterans, overhaul the front seven and secondary, and continue to build around Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown. Let's not forget, John Robinson almost single-handedly has taken this franchise from one of the worst in the NFL and turned them into a perennial playoff team and defending division champ. How about we trust the process, all right? Now all the way the other way, and a great play by Echol playing center field to pick off the pass. He'll charge in. Echol. Well, what a game. I think, you know, both teams were going to come in and play as hard as they could. I thought uh, it was a hard-fought battle by both teams. Wasn't a lot of uh, room on the ice, lots of physicality. I thought both goaltenders played really well. Playoff-style game, playoff-style atmosphere. Our fans were fantastic. And, you know, just like the fact that we were able to find a way to win and, and, and stay with it against a really good team. And uh, it was a good night for us. 
It felt like old times in Bridgestone Arena on Saturday night. The crowd was loud and almost felt normal. The on-ice battle between Dallas and Nashville felt like an old-school, defensive, tightly contested playoff game. And maybe that's all because that's what it was. It was all of the cliches. A hard-fought, tough-nosed, physical battle between two teams with history and lots of animosity battling for the final playoff spot. So, of course, they went to overtime for the fifth time in eight meetings this year, this time without a single goal being scored. Then in overtime, Matias Ekholm dove into the zone and slipped the puck out front of the net for Eric Halla to bury the game winner, and Bridgestone went bonkers. The call on Halla's game winner, of course, courtesy of Bally Sports Network. While the win didn't clinch anything specifically, and the building wasn't even close to full, it is the closest that Smashville has felt like Smashville in well over a year. And in the process, the Predators' playoff chances vaulted from about a 50-50 opportunity to an 82% chance. Meanwhile, the Stars' chances, who are three points back in the standings, fell to just 18%. The win gives the Predators, quote, control of their own destiny. Because even though Dallas has an extra game in hand, that one extra point on Saturday night means that if the Preds win out, they have four games left, there is no possible way for Dallas to take the playoff spot, even if the Stars go 5-0 to finish the year. Nashville will travel to Columbus on Monday and Wednesday before hosting Mighty Carolina in the final two games of the year next weekend. Dallas will play all five of their final games on the road, starting with Florida on Monday and two with Tampa on Wednesday and Friday. They will finish with two in Chicago. After the gutty showing on Saturday night that included yet another stellar outing from UC Saros and El Capitan Roman Yossi willing himself back into the lineup after an early injury cost him an entire period of play, the Predators are in the driver's seat for the final playoff spot in the Central Division. But there is no margin for error. A slip-up against a bad and already eliminated Columbus team would still cost the Predators a playoff spot. Considering only 10 of the 16 playoff spots have been clinched in the NHL with just a week to go, it should be an amazing final few days of action. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, my name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Special thanks to our sponsor, the Kingston Group, of course, Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned custom home and remodeling firm. You don't have to go spend a boatload of cash on a remodel or a new house right this second, of course. But when you do, make sure you remember the name, the Kingston Group. They are thoughtful, they are analytical, and they want to take care of your home and your vision because that's how they do business. It's why my family uses the Kingston Group, and it's why your family can too. BuildKG.com is the website. Go check them out. The work speaks for itself. BuildKG.com. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. <laughs>